You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Robert Bohr. Hey, Robert. Hey, Holly. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I've been enjoying chatting with our guest here. I know we've been chatting for a couple of minutes and uh, mm-hmm. reminiscing feels like the wrong word, but thinking back to when we when we last had her on and the, uh, you know, whatever was happening then. I'm All sure we'll get into that a little. that yes. were happening. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, that's good. I know I'm really, really excited for our guest today. Um, so for our listeners who are like, wait, who is your guest? And they're so excited that it's a returning guest. As if they we didn't are... click on the title that has it I know. In it. Well, I guess I that's right. They that. probably would have figured it out from the title. But, <laughs> that's okay. you know, yeah, I love it. That's yeah. fair. Um, so today, friends, we have Dr. Emily Smith, who is joining us again on CXMH. Uh, Dr. Smith is an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and Surgery at Duke University and at the Duke Global Health Institute. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, she also became known as the Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist through her social media outlets, which reached over three to four million people per month during 2020 and 2021, which is just, it boggles my mind. But before joining the faculty at Duke University, Dr. Smith spent four years at Baylor University in the Department of Public Health and was a research scholar at uh, the Duke Global Health Institute for two years. Dr. Smith received her PhD in epidemiology from the Gilling School of Global Public Health at UNC Chapel Hill and uh, from the University of South Carolina, uh, where she got her um, master's in public health at that time as well. Uh, Emily has been married to her pastor husband for 20 years, and they have two fantastic children and one spoiled golden retriever. And on any normal day, you can find her outside gardening reading in the hammock with a good cup of coffee, or trying to become a bird watcher. Dr. Smith, I am so excited to have you back on the show. Welcome. Thank you. What a joy to, gosh, just to be back in all capacities. Mm-hmm. It feels almost like bookends, mm-hmm. um, probably just because I'm a yeah. book nerd, but maybe a bookend or I don't know. It's just a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Oh my gosh, yeah. Absolutely. I always love that piece too, reading about the time that you were at Baylor. And I love that we got to share some overlapping time, even though a lot of that was during the time that we physically couldn't be around each other. And right. so, but I just am so grateful for your presence, the good work that you do. And again, just love having you back on the show. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. I was going to say it was episode 116. In case Thank our you. listeners want to listen to that. And I went and looked back on my Google calendar to see, and we recorded November 23rd of 2020. Mm, so, wow. All those millions of, of uh, social media reaches, I assume that we were, you know, we helped kickstart some of that. Um, <laughs> but just obviously thinking about what was happening right then, you know, there was oh, a yeah. pandemic and, uh, you know, yeah, election it's... and I don't just everything in the world. So <laughs> much life from, the Emily of that 
era, and it's not mm. like it's been a decade, but also no. the Emily of of who I am now. And gosh, yeah. I should I should go listen back to it. Um, well, maybe on mm. a day when I don't need to worry about crying. <laughs> and because I, I I bet you can just hear, you know, maybe what we all thought at the beginning of the pandemic of just so much. I mean, yeah. I was so gung ho about this is the time for the church to shine. And, you yeah. know, I would learn over the next two and a half years what that uh, for good and bad, what that meant. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So it is a very different Emily from back then. Yeah. 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 You said it's not like it's been a decade. It kind of has been a decade. It's I don't know. Kind it feels of, like it. It's all, I know. It does, like, doesn't it? It's <laughs> that was three years ago. That kind of blows my mind, too, that that was three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So much yeah. has changed. Yeah. So, so much. Well, is there, I do want to ask, um, I love how comprehensive your bio is in terms of like all the layers of who you are that you bring to your bio, but is there anything we missed in the bio that you want to share with us? No, I think that covered it. I mean, if anything I would add to to the bios is I'm just as normal as can be of a person. Um. And I mean, I'm a mom. <laughs> I like to work. You know, uh-huh. I have to figure out what's for dinner at 530 uh-huh. when the kids are whatever. I have to go finish laundry. So that's the only thing is it's I just am so normal. You know, it, it, it is weird every time to read the uh, the reach, you know, when you tally it up, it's like 10 million people over the pandemic. And that is just mind boggling. So I, I you can't add that as an asterisk of your normal. <laughs> but that's what I would add. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I really want, as I think about our listeners, you know, especially for those who maybe didn't get to hear the first episode, I do love how you elevate that sense of like, I am normal too, and I'm going through life and the human condition and all the things and, you know, dinner on table and all of that. But one of the really, you know, important hats that you wear as well is that you serve others as an epidemiologist. And you know, I really want our listeners to understand the lens by which you approach your work with that hat. So, you know, we've certainly heard quite a bit about epidemiologists, I think, over the last few years. Maybe some of it true and maybe some of it not true and maybe some of it confusing and some of it easy to understand. But before we jump into today's conversation, can you explain a little bit about what it is that epidemiologists do and the really, really important role that they have within our society as a whole. Yeah. Oh, how long do we have? No, I'm kidding. I could talk. (laughs) I mean, prior to the pandemic, people thought we were skin doctors, like epidermists um, instead of epidemics. Bless. Now they know. So it's, you know, that joke doesn't (laughs) kind of falls flat sometimes. But we are, you know, doctors and nurses are treating individual patients for whatever ailment they have. It's a one-on-one. I like to think of Epi being more treating communities or population wide mm. or countrywide, and so it's it's looking at what ails an entire community. You know, what what population is at risk for X, Y, and Z. Um, if if you want to do the technical Jeopardy term, it's the distribution and determinants of a disease. So basically okay. what uh-huh. affects a, the spread and who is most at risk. Um, I'd never heard of Epi. I, you know, I was a pre-med student. I thought, you know, when I was little, I wanted to be Sandy Patty and a missionary. 
And I, uh, poor, sweet Sandy Patty. I wrote her a letter and I, I never heard back. So my 10 year old soul is still holding out for it. Mm. Um, I, so I can't sing, but the missionary thing, I mean, we just, I grew up in the church and we just had missionaries come all the time and I just was hooked by it. Um, uh. of helping. And I, but I thought the only way to do that is to be a doctor. So I was pre-med, <laughs> um, got married straight out of college to my now pastor husband and he had a job across the country, so I had a gap year. And I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm just as nerdy as can be. Let's just get a degree. So I enrolled in public health. And day one of Epi, I I remember just being mesmerized by it um, because he, you know, the professor was he was really engaging, anyways. But he was describing how you can use this type of science to help health equity. And automatically, I just thought, that's the science of the Good Samaritan. You know, my Um. job is to quantify who is most at need and then choose not to walk by. And being a Christian, that certainly resonates very much to me anyways. But to me, it's it's just a health equity science if you do it well. Oh, I love that. I mean, especially like as a social worker, though you're like speaking my language with thinking about societies and systems and, you know, those social determinants and Mm -hmm. or those determinants of health, excuse me, um, or or disease. Um, And so just how that works within a community perspective versus an individual, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. In potentially one of the best segues that a guest has ever laid out. You uh, just talked about the science of the Good Samaritan, right? And your uh, new book that comes out October 24th is called The Science of the Good Samaritan, Thinking Bigger About Loving Our Neighbors. So from 2020 and COVID and all of that and starting, you know, a friendly neighbor epidemiologist and and doing kind of social media stuff from there to uh, publishing this book, right? Can you give us a little bit of the backstory and like what, why write this book? Yeah, well... Well, I've always been an Anna Green Gables fan, and so writing a book has been one of my best dreams since little, little pity. Um, I just never really quite thought it would happen. So when the Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist page went viral the first couple of times, and I was getting more than just like my mom commenting, um, you know, when we hit 50,000. Uh-huh. That, that's how you know, right? <laughs> that's right. We have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't keep up with the comments. And I just realized, you know, people want to know, first of all, how do you just keep your family safe? And I get that. And then throughout the pandemic, when it started getting messy with like really bad Christianity stuff, um, weird faith that's not actually faith. I mean, we all mm-hmm. saw it. January 6th happened and then politics came in. I started seeing a divide on the on my site of people who, and they both have stayed with me since. I guess it's more of like three groups. One is the science side, no faith at all, uh-huh. um, which I'm uh-huh. thrilled they're yep. still there. One is a faith side. Well, there were two of the faith sides, but there was a definite split of people who wanted to say, oh, I don't understand what structural racism is, but I want to know now because I'm seeing yeah. it on earth. Yeah. And others yeah. win a hard pivot of, I don't want to, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. And it became so weirdly violent, you know, I mean, yeah. physically, yeah. certainly to me and my family, but just to the other side. So I wrote the book largely for that group that said, what next? Like when I said, you know, our job is 
Good Samaritans is to choose not to walk by. There was such a resounding and loud group of people that said, yes, help us. It makes me emotional thinking about that group. Yeah. Because they're just sweet people of faith who had never heard or seen, you know, structural violence or some of these really big words. They were seeing it and they didn't know what to do about it. So when I got the email from an agent, I thought it was spam. I actually told my husband, "Uh oh, look at this. And I, you know, because we were getting so uh much bad stuff. I had a folder to give to authorities. And then she emailed me back and I was like, let me Google her. Um, And thankfully she was not spam. Uh, And so she connected me. Yeah, she connected me with Zonervan and then uh, and with a couple of other publishers, but they really honored my voice and who I wanted to be and who I didn't want to be. So that's where that came out of. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. And I know too that, you know, explaining it within a few minutes is is one layer to it. But I know you and I were touching base kind of through the process too and all of the ways that there's just a lot that goes through that process. And some of it is very book specific, but some of it too are life things that were happening around. And and I really appreciate and applaud the ways that you held the things that were happening in your immediate circle that you were just referring to that you needed to keep a folder for, mm-hmm. for certain communication while still, you know, tending to your family in the way that you tended to them while still doing the research that you were doing while still showing up to your own faith journey and 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 discerning those steps of how do I continue to serve yeah. with this Facebook page in the ways that I've really clearly hit a, a niche area that that needs to be met, um, yeah. particularly when it comes to faith and epidemiology and around COVID and and all of that. So, so I really applaud you for the, those layers that. I know you go into to some degree yeah. within here, but you know, so yeah. I appreciate that. I think that yeah. was, that's an, I mean, you've written a book. Uh, you are the first like author I know in real life, Holly. So oh. look at that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you are right. I mean, I would, we would talk with each other of, is this normal? Yeah. And yeah. Um, so you, thank you for going before us and paving the way But you, you know, part of it is knowing what you want to put in a book and what you don't want to put in a book. What I want to hold just dear to to me, you know, in my heart, treasure it up with just a few knowing and who do I really want the world to see, you know, what I want. And so that, that part was tricky because, you know, the book is, has three parts on it and the middle section Mm -hmm. is two chapters on cost. And those by far were the hardest to write because they were so tender and incredibly personal about our story. Uh, But at the same time, I've just wanted to be very upfront with people and say, you know, when you start living like the Good Samaritan in America, (laughs) largely, it will likely cost friends or neighbors or community, or you'll feel exposed. And to count that cost beforehand Um, before it catching you off guard, I think, like me, would be really, I think it'd be very helpful just to prepare that. And, you know, everybody's story might not be as dramatic as mine. You know, mine, it just felt like I lost friends, uh, lifelong friends who were like at my baby shower. Um, You know, just, and my personality is 
I just love everybody mm-hmm. to the end. Uh, so it was it was a loss not only of like physical friends, it was faith communities. And then when I started seeing yeah. people that I grew up with, like Michael W. Smith, um, at the prayer rally yes. in the height yes. of the pandemic, I just I could not wrap that. my mind. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it was these losses of friends, Ooh. family, safety. I mean, we received yeah. threats at our house. Yeah, um, awful mm. harassment from people that we went to church with. Um, yep. So we had to. Yep. I mean, we couldn't let our kids go walk. That's just a very tangible thing. Walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. But then to lose a, a forty-year-old tradition of faith, it just felt so unraveling. Um, yeah. And then my body just said no more, Emily, and yeah. it just fell apart for a year, and yeah. I'm still recovering from it. Yeah. So I, mm. I wanted to honor that part of my story with not being too much of an overshare <laughs> while still telling people it might get hard and it is okay because there is an anchor. The last part of the book is about courage. Once you've gone through that cost, I think that you have built muscles of courage to be able to actually, like I think I have full more myself than I have ever been. Um, because of the loss, you know, the ground falls beneath it. There's no way to go. Um, so the last part of it is courage to live into that. Yeah. That's I appreciate you sharing about, especially the cost. And I know we're going to get into the structure a little bit. And like you said, Mm -hmm. not everybody's is as dramatic as, as, as yours, perhaps with the the public aspect. Right. But I think for so many of us, since we came on last or even, you know, I don't know, the last three, four years. And maybe even a little bit before that has been a lot of that story, right? I mean, of, of yeah. people I looked up to and people who always, you know, quote unquote, loved me and, and guided me all of a sudden are on the opposite sides of this thing or that thing in ways that yeah. look nothing like Jesus. Or if mm-hmm. I say this thing, right. then, I don't know, I, I think often about the kindergarten Robert who was told, like, stand up for what you oh believe my in gosh. and be yes. kind and treat yeah. and then the kind of maybe this is like a mostly online kind of vibe but like oh these people are just virtue signaling or you know whatever like all these weird things projecting all their stuff you're supposed to be a role model you're supposed to stand like i don't understand this is the opposite of what yeah yeah you know i know i've abandoned facebook altogether but like there are people who for a long time i would have considered role models of that i was like Oh, I will mute you so that I don't see this anymore because I don't want to interact with it. And I mm-hmm. don't, I want to still know that you exist as a human, but like, I can't do that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of us, you know, resonate with that. The story I, of, you know, watching people do that. I agree. I mean, I th- I think I've, I've been telling people what this book is, but almost in the same intensity of what it isn't. Because <laughs> this is not a book mm-hmm. about against evangelicals, although I could. It's not it's not even a book about COVID because I we're all just ready to move on a little bit, knowing that it is still not move onable. Um, it's a book about what's next. And so there, you know, there is COVID stories in there, kind of. Um, but it is not about the pandemic. There are certainly great books um out there. So I, I do I'm trying to let people know that too, because some Yeah. Some of it is just too tender for people to read, and I get that. Yeah. No, I I really appreciate you unpacking that. 
And for the, the, the degree to which you unpacked like the grief, I mean, I, we yeah. haven't named that, but, but the grief that, you know, may have been more obvious in some ways through the COVID pandemic, but even some of these quieter behind the scenes layers of grief. And, you know, I know folks will use deconstruction a lot in their language about their faith journey. And, and that is valid too, but there's like these layers yeah. of grief tied to it or and so so I really appreciate how you're unpacking that and explaining it I do want to take like kind of a a half a step back for a Mm -hmm. moment so you you've already kind of alluded to the story of the good Samaritan but we haven't quite gone there just quite yet so many of our listeners may be very familiar with the story of the good Samaritan um, but I recognize that there are probably listeners who are like, I think I know, but or I've heard of it, but I'm maybe not really sure. So can you explain this story to us a little bit? And maybe like I saw there was a quote in the book where you actually said like epidemiology is the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about the story and then how yeah. epidemiology um, is connected to it? Yes, I would. Yes, I would love to share that. Um, mm. it, the Good Samaritan, you know, I named the Friendly Neighbor Epidemiology page Friendly because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just too friendly. I'm sorry. Yes, you are. <laughs> when no, I, said- I love it. I love that about you, too. <laughs> well, unless, so you're, unless you're sitting beside me on an airplane and then it might be a little... Oh, no, 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 because I'm that person too, my friend. So, <laughs> okay, good. <you're> good. <laughs> but then neighbor, because something like COVID would mean that we rely on one another and the vulnerable would be the ones that we need to protect. Um, and I just thought that would resonate so much with people. And at the beginning, it did. You know, people were very gung-ho about it. So it's the story of uh, this man in the Bible asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, basically? Uh-huh. And instead of answering him, he did like a Jesus judo movement or moment uh-huh. of like, right. yes. <laughs> let me answer that with a question. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and this time he told the parable. So he told a story of a man who was on the side of the road, hurt you know, hurt so badly he couldn't he could not get up and help himself. And two people walked by him and it was people, two religious leaders. So however you want to think about that today in terms of power, uh, privilege, they, you know, it's not my job to yeah. however you want to see that. They walked by and it's a Samaritan didn't though. And so he leaned down and took care of him. And as a kid, I knew that part. I didn't know the next part of him bandaging him up, putting him on whatever, taking him to a lodge or someplace that he could recover and paying for all of it. Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. this gorgeous picture of of equity and true compassion, I think. So that that is the story of the Good Samaritan. And you know, at the very beginning of the book, I have that thread of love thy neighbor and the the top five world religion. And then at the very bottom, I was talking to my kid about this during the pandemic because he was asking me, sweet little nine-year-old, why are people coming against you, basically? And this makes me very Um, teary. I didn't include this part in the book. And so I told him why. I said, well, buddy, it's because of, you know, this. And he said, but being a good Samaritan is just being a good human. (laughs) Yeah. And I get that. And so his his little uh, quote is in that section of the book, too. But I am a person of a Christian faith, but I do not want to center this book around 
the Christian faith or this message, because I think loving thy neighbor is just quintessentially being a good human um, that transcends religion. And so this book is for the Christian faith, sure. But I've had it reviewed by people who are Hindu or non-Christian at all or non-faith at all. Um, yeah. And they really resonate with it, too. Yeah, mm, that's so good. I love, I love that. that. And even the the story, I think most most people have some familiarity with or at least the idea. Yeah. I mean, right. It's a common kind of phrase like being a good Samaritan. Right. So I can mm-hmm. see how it would be a, a broader conversation. Right. And what's interesting is that not to dive too far into social commentary or whatever, but sometimes it feels like the people who are more willing to to do some of the things that will cost us are perhaps not of a particular faith really, you know, yeah. just want to be good humans. That's right. And I, I, I lead out the book talking about who taught me probably the Good Samaritan yes. story uh-huh. in life. Uh-huh. Um, and she's from Somaliland. You know, she's not of the Christian faith at all. And that is fine. Like my job is not to proselytize. I just am so uncomfortable with it, even through a book. Um, so I just wanted to center those voices too. But I think you're right. I mean, the golden rule, love thy neighbor, is very much just around the world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, and even the emphasis around, you know, how culturally at that time, like the Samaritan had a, a different role within or or was like interactions um, were not always expected, right? Yeah. Like there wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't like they were the nurse yeah. walking down or they were typically the person who would reach out and help. And so there are some social layers to that too that I really appreciate that story. It punctures those social layers that would prevent us from caring for our neighbor well. Yes. Um, and the so, key, yeah. yeah, the key to that is I saw a group of people saying, then how do I do that? Um, how do you how do you be a good Samaritan in both word and deed? And so the first part of the book is on centering because we won't be at least a good a good Samaritan that just comes intrinsically because something made that Samaritan stop, right? He he didn't like consult anybody about it or ask if it fit in his life plan. He just did it. And to do that almost subconsciously, I think means we have to center correctly. And so yes. that's, uh, and I spent so much time writing that part of the book instead of helpful, you know, top 10 tips of how to be a good Samaritan of, you know, give money to a food pantry. And right, also right. you will see yeah. that both and, and also throughout the whole book and also have enough money left over in your monthly budget to give more. You know, right, it's it's right. moving more to the heart positioning. Um, and I think people wanted to do that, but I wanted to start with, we need to almost relearn some things. Um, yes, at least that's for the, right. Yeah, for the church. You know, the first whole section is on centering, but a lot of it is looking back historically at some issues that we had never heard about before until the pandemic, like systemic racism and structural violence, universal health coverage. I got called a socialist. (laughs) So we went there. Climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, these things that people are going, yeah, I I think it's a big deal, but I don't know why. And so in story form, 
both from my own life that hopefully makes people laugh <laughs> going back to like 1998 emily um and then also historically why does structural racism matter you know i tell the story of of violence structural violence when i was having my second child a month out i started having these weird symptoms like you know my vision would just leave and we didn't know it at the time, but that's that was severe preeclampsia. So he came very quickly. It was really scary. Um, you know, in the hospital several times post with crazy blood pressure. But I lived in a spot where I could pay for that. I could get to care quickly. I could get him care quickly. And then I go to where I work in Burundi. And I tell a story of if that happened to an equivalent mom there, she probably lives a long way away from care can't afford that care and so if she dies and her child dies it is of no fault of her own i mean she's we all just want to love our people and so the reasons that she can't get to where she what i had is because of structures and there's a violence imposed because of structures and poverty and that's not only burundi that's here too so I That's think the right. more that yep. we can understand those buzzword questions, there's a chapter called things that you don't want to talk about in church. <laughs> it was like socialism or climate mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. I think that if we will tackle that in a way that actually learn what they mean, I think we can hold it up to the sky. It will reflect heaven because it's equity. It's when we yep. attack those yep. issues, it becomes like, well, what are we going to do about it? You know, it is the yes. science of the Good Samaritan of quantifying the need. And then we have a choice of who we're going to be. So I wanted Ooh. people to, I wanted to help people understand those words. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that makes my researcher heart so happy. Yes, too, that's right. That, you know, those ways of ex- of un- explaining and translating these, these words and phrases and topics so that we can gather around the table together with a somewhat shared vocabulary and 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 identify the passion that's also shared amongst us and caring yeah. for one another it so, also takes the shaming off of people yes, doesn't it that's it, right yes. it's not there there's so much shaming that has happened on countries or populations or people and i i think when we learn the reality of it then we don't shame groups of people i mean redlining is another example i talk about here in the states and I think when people learn what that actually is, then we can really be good neighbors and not shame them. Um, Where I work in Africa, you know, we go all the way back to 1885 with the Great Scramble, where the whole continent was spliced and diced by 14 high-income countries with no person from Africa there, although the Sultan of Zanzibar wanted to be there, but was denied. Those ramifications of where the countries colonized um, Africa have modern day ramifications for where I work in Somaliland or, I mean, you think of uh, Al-Shabaab and Al-Qaeda. And so you can trace those lines. And I th- again, I think when we realize there's history to be told of how to be a good neighbor, we can give and act in a way that's more according to what I think equity looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I know uh, the the structure of the book, right? We talked about centering and then cost and courage. And I know you've mentioned all three of those 
Is there anything else that you want to add about in any of those or maybe the flow of those before? I know we wanted to talk about kind of the idea, advice on how to be a good neighbor, but we wanted to, is there anything else on the structure that, that you wanted to mention? I tried to make it as conversational as possible. So I I do tell people, this is not a book about the pandemic, but then I also follow it up with, this is not a faith book, glory be. I mean, I love being a pastor's (laughs) wife, but it is not a faith book. And the people who have read it that are not of any faith or of a different faith have felt so seen. And I just love that. It's also not a boring science like history book because we don't want to do, yeah. We don't want to learn about the Krebs cycle again. We did that in eighth grade. So so I, I, I do want people to know it. I I tried to make it as story driven from my story. And then I just love history um, and as history as possible. I also hope that it can be something like a resource to help people have conversations at the Thanksgiving table if they want to. You do not. There's no you do not have to. But if you want to enter in, then maybe you'll have more of an arsenal of some, you know, some ways to understand those buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, (laughs) So I, you do, I know you said earlier in the conversation, you're like, well, I don't have like a 10 step that's really easy of, you know, figuring out how to, you know, how to be a good neighbor or anything. And, and I, and at the same time, you do offer some, some advice for, anyone to be able to kind of put in their back pocket and think about as they go about their days or as they navigate their life um, in wanting to be a good neighbor. Yeah. Um, It's not, it's not like, you know, they're not like cheeky, easy advice, you know, tips or anything, but you do offer these four. And so I really, I, I kind of want to leave it open for our listeners to be like, oh, what are they? I want to go pick up the book. And, um, but if there's one yeah. that you would really like our listeners to hear you share and chew on and think about in their own lives, what would that one tip be? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I mean, the those tips are very, very on the ground because I, I do want just the moms and the dads, like how do you do this on a Tuesday when you're it's spaghetti night, um, to have some tips. And it's just stuff that I've used. They are not scientifically validated. What I would say, I think what has helped me the most is in the courage section, there's a chapter on Nehemiah. And it it is about not having to go to every fight that we are invited to. Or there are times where you can just use wisdom and we're walking by. Because what I have found is if I read, even if you read comments nonchalantly on social media or you listen to something on the news, I'm washing my dishes like ferociously because I'm just angry. That's right. No, that's right. right. Totally right. Yes, that's right. So it gets in your bones even when you don't want it to. Yes. So yes. that whole chapter is on what Nehemiah does. And you'll, it was one of my favorites. So, it, you know, y'all read it. Please don't peter out it by the end of the book and read that one at least. But it it's on him. He could have gotten distracted. But there's this gorgeous time where he said, I am doing a good work and I'm not coming down. And he kept going on his job. So if anything, it, uh, it's almost an encouragement of, you know, if we're not careful, we could get lost in what I do, poverty work and health equity and climate change and the evangelical church. And I mean, we could go on, right? 
and then you're exhausted. Yep. It's just not worth it. I mean, my body just said no, and it's, it's just not worth doing it. So it's about finding what is our good work that we are not going to come down to, knowing that Holly and Robert, y'all are doing yours. I'm doing mine. There's great Samaritans around the word, world doing their own. And to have some wisdom at, I went off of social media for a year. It's the best thing. Uh, and I have not yep. gotten on. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook since it's been, it's been two years now, other than what, you know, the, the, not my personal one. <laughs> I love the right, scrappy right, right. fun community of the FNE group, but I think it's that draw some boundary lines so that you can do the work that you were, you were made to do. And then just don't come down for the rest, you know, just wisdom mm. and joy. So good. Goodness. Yes, There's so yes. much joy to be had on the other side of finding a new community or a new group of like-minded Samaritans, even despite the lost. That's really good. I love that. Yeah. I know there's some other tips and we'll, we'll tell folks to definitely go grab the book and they can read all of that. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I know, I think we probably asked this last time, but we'd love to hear what is your hope I know sometimes we ask for, you know, the the work you're doing broadly, but I mean, maybe even just this book as it's launching in the world, what's your, what's your hope for that? Wow. I wonder how I answered that last time. I'm going to go back after this <laughs> and, and see what I did. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. What is my hope? You know, I think three years ago, I probably would have said, I hope that people come around a common table and we'll have a conversation. I'm not that naive anymore to know that that will work. I hope that people will recognize that the table historically has not been fair. So finding common ground is not centered correctly. And I hope people will have the courage to shake the table a little bit or to leave a table and build your own. You know, the whole last chapter uh, is about the table. You'll see the table at the beginning of the book, at the middle and at the end. Um, And I just love that the visual, but if anything, it's shake a table or find a new, find a new table. Yeah. Mm, I love that so much. Gosh, that's such a, it's just such a gift to have you back on, Emily. I'm really, really thankful for you and your heart and your work and your presence and your friendship, all of it. Well, you too, Holly, you were just so kind in those extremely hard moments. And you, mm-hmm. you just offered such a safe place to, to mm-hmm. land. So I want to say thank you for that and still do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Well, listeners, if you would like to connect with Dr. Emily Smith, um, I am going to point you to her newsletter, which is emilysmith.substack.com, which I think is like your main like website now, right? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Correct. You also can follow her along. I know she talked about Facebook and her Friendly Neighbor Epidemiologist community or FNE community. Um, so you, we'll have links to that. Um, and Instagram. On, and yeah. Instagram, that's right, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have all of those links for you to uh, find her and follow along with the good work she's doing and the incredible resources she's sharing within her posts too. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what you offer us in there. Um, and then, of course, I am going to wholeheartedly ask you to go pick up her book, um, The Science of the Good Samaritan, 
thinking bigger about loving our neighbors, which has this gorgeous cover. I know. Do you see it? I love it. Do you see the world? It's like the little. I I know. know. Totally. It's right there. I know. I love that part. I love the the watercolor and like all of it. It's just stunning. So listener, please go pick that up and we'll have the link um, for you to find that in our show notes as well. Um, If you'd like to connect with CXMH, you can find us at cxmhpodcast.com or on any social media at CXMH Podcast. You can connect with um, Robert at robert-4.com or on any social media at Robert4. Or you can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Emily, thank you again um, from the bottom yeah. of my heart for joining us and chatting with us and yeah. you know continuing to show up to do the good work that is yours to do, as we were just talking about. Thank you been a pleasure is there are do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners that you want to add for today no nope i don't think so other than the <laughs> what i've already said about shaking the table find some joy we're <laughs> in mm. if you can thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com.